Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Excuse me, Jerry, you're in charge of uh, official information. Uh, how old is Mr. Lincoln today, please? No, I'm serious. How old, when was he born? I'm just curious about that. When was he born? Uh, let's see. He was. He died in 1864 or 5? Or was it 4? 1864 or 5? Uh, well, it's a long time. Happy birthday, dear Abe. Happy birthday, dear Abraham. Now, I'll tell you this. If you think I'm being sacrilegious or something, I'd have to uh, demur here. <laughs> That's a great word. I haven't demurred in a long time, but I'll have to demur here. I suppose if you demur, uh, that means to not mur. Is there, a, is there a situation in which one murs? I don't know. Uh, happy. <laughs> I, I have to uh, disagree, though, if you think that I'm being uh, sacrilegious about Mr. Lincoln, because if there's anybody who obviously enjoyed a bit of ribald humor, it was the late Mr. Lincoln. He uh, indulged in a considerable, uh, considerable expense to his popularity among certain of his friends from time to time. So uh, humor is never popular. Uh, of course, jokes are always popular, but real humor is not. Because it tends to lose uh, all kinds. It loses clients. It uh, <laughs> gets you into bad, bad... You know, speaking of humor, I would... Uh, and, and American humor, of course, tonight. I would like to salute the uh, the uh, Santa Fe, or rather the, the New Mexico House of Representatives. You, you, know, you didn't know they had a House of Representatives there in New Mexico. Well, they meet in Santa Fe. And, uh, boy, if you think the Old West is dead, friends... Uh, I have a little note here from the United Pacific, or no, it's actually the UP, uh, the UPI. The New Mexico House, I'm giving you the quote there directly here so that you don't confuse this is not the uh, ad-libbing here. The New Mexico House has voted to repeal an old law allowing a husband to shoot and kill his wife's lover if he catches the two in bed together. Now, it was not a unanimous vote. Uh, no way. In fact, it was 61 to 6. There were six guys who held out. They must, I'd like to meet their wives. There must be an interesting family life going on there. But uh, nevertheless, 61 to 6. However, you know, since this is the age of, you know, equal rights and women's live and all that stuff, some members who wanted to keep the law 
tried to get an amendment attached to it, giving women the same right to shoot uh, any uh, any bimbo uh, <laughs> caught in the act of you know you know the whole scene. See, you know what's good for the good, you know the whole bit. But it was defeated. Uh, that one was defeated soundly, universally, which says something very interesting. <laughs> in other words, the men with the right. To <laughs> well, all right, think about it for a minute. All right. Okay. I thought you'd think about it for a minute. That's all it takes. Just a minute. That's all. I know your mind works like lightning. However, uh, you know these things. Uh, these things keep popping up. I kind of, kind of, uh, kind of like you know the things that happen. The, the West, you see, is is a is a place where abrupt direct action is a is a tradition, and uh, that's as opposed to the fate East, which believes in committees, uh, round panel discussions. Uh, subcommittees. Uh, it uh, also believes in sub rosa committees and ag- ad hoc committees. You rarely find an ad hoc committee or a sub rosa committee or a panel discussion going on in a place like Utah, for example. And uh, so the, the West is very different from the East, as you probably are aware. And uh, we have a little note here from uh, from uh, Reno that shows you the direct action that occurs out in the West. Now, we're all aware of... of, of uh, vandalism right here in New York. Vandalism is a very petty thing in New York. You know, somebody has a spray can and writes, uh, Tico 134, you know. That's uh, called vandalism. And kind of piddling little stuff. Trivial jazz. But here's, uh, the West, they do it. I mean, uh, they got, the, the, there's tremendous style and verve in the West. You agree with that, Jim? It's very different. When they do it, they do it big. I mean, Bob Hope, for example, is building a 29,000 square foot house. Now that house would cover half of Connecticut uh, if we if, if we try. It has a hundred foot swimming pool. That's hundred feet one way. <laughs> I mean, it's hundred ten feet the other way. You know, this is the West. This is you know, just men are big, women are huge, appetites are gargantuan, and uh, you know the the monster stalks the land. Well, I would like to salute two Westerners, Reno, Nevada. Now, Nevada is a tradition of great Western activity. Many movies are shot, you know, riding over the plains in Nevada. Two 13-year-old boys smashed a new house with a bulldozer. They just flattened the house, and uh, it said that uh, they, they, they got a little bug because the house was built on a place where they used to go rabbit hunting. And we quoted, we got mad about the whole thing. So they had gotten a hold... The, the, the article, by the way, does not say where these kids got a hold of a bulldozer and uh, how they learned how to drive one. Incidentally, Jim, I'll have to ask you a direct question. Would you know how to start and drive and operate a bulldozer if you ran into it? You would. Of course you would. Uh, naturally. You know, that's one thing about guys who can operate a turntable. They tend to think they can operate anything, which is a great, a great mistake many of them make. <laughs> But uh, we have to salute that. Uh, um, that's the American West. Now, I don't know of any kid yet in, in the East here, in Brooklyn or Park Slope or any place, who bent upon malicious mischief, vandalism, has gotten a hold of a bulldozer and flattened the city hall. Only in the West. And so uh, we have to salute the West. These, these two kids flattened a brand new house. Probably it was a brand new one. People are going to move in the next day. These kids just flatten it with a bulldozer wiped off their hands and walked away. Now, that's, that's big-time vandalism. That's going all the way. And uh, so, so our country has a fantastic tradition of the iconoclast. Uh, it's good or bad. I'm not going to say one way or the other. And since this is Lincoln's birthday, 
uh, Mr. Lincoln was in his own way uh, a bit of an iconic class. And by the way, a hell of a wrestler. Uh, he was. He was a very good wrestler, pretty tough guy, and uh, spent a lot of time in New York. Do you know that? He, uh, in fact, one of his most famous speeches that he made was made right down here on what we call uh, the East Village now. It was made in Cooper Union, a very famous speech that, uh, you know, that, that was largely responsible for him getting ultimately elected president. So uh, we have a great tradition of involvement with Mr. Lincoln. And I personally can say that I, too, have. That uh, I had a traumatic experience with Mr. Lincoln one time. Not exactly Mr. Lincoln, but in a figure of speech, Mr. Lincoln. And every time we run into this, you know, this, this thing, it seems to come up once in a while, this Lincoln's birthday thing. It's amazing. It just keeps reappearing. And uh, I, I, every time it does, there's a curious feeling of deja vu sets in. And a curious, odd feeling of respect for Mr. Lincoln. Nothing to do with his presidency. And I'll, uh, do you mind if I tell you the story? Are you, are you interested in that story? Now, many of you are not interested in history. I will assure you this story is not necessarily about, by the way, that reminds me. That reminds me. How many of you are aware of the fact that Mr. Lincoln was one of the leading Jews harp players of his day? He really seriously was. And uh, Mr. Lincoln, for those of you who are really interested in Americana, Mr. Lincoln, when he was touring around in uh, Illinois, trying to get elected to the legislature and stuff like that, they'd have these platform meetings. It was, it was customary in those days to provide entertainment. Uh, today, the politician himself provides the entertainment with many of the things he says. I mean, you know, some of, the, some of our... Uh, Politicians are really some of the best unconscious comics we've got. Uh, <laughs> listening to the material that they come out with. But uh, in Lincoln's day, it was customary to go out, and if you're going to, you know, touring the, uh, the hustings, the hinterlands, um, you know, going around making, trying to make a few vote here and there, you'd go out and hire yourself a banjo player, and you'd get a guy that plays the bass drum, and uh, maybe even get a tap dancer. You know, if you really had a big budget... And uh, you'd uh, show up in a town. That's right. You'd show up in a town in a wagon. This is where they did it. You'd show up in this, this uh, like a, like a, well, it would be like a panel truck today. You know, it's a wagon. See, it's got his name written all over. You know, Honest Abe. Uh, your vote for Abe is a vote for honesty. Or, uh, you know, your vote for Abe is a vote to rot them rascals out. Or whatever he has. See, and he writes this all over, big bunting all over the place. And they'd stop in the middle of the town. And they would get the permission from the police department, or whatever they had to have. And uh, they'd open up the back of the wagon. It would be announced that at 8 p.m. that night, there would be a speech by the candidate. So they would all stand around 8 o'clock, and the wagon would be pulled up. The torchlights would be lit, and there was a kind of a groovy thing. They would all stand around, wait for the action. Well, the action consisted of the back of the wagon opening up. And there would be a great roar of applause at that. Everything, it's just like... Guys uh, who are in the army uh, tend to make a great issue over little things because there's not much happens for years on end in the army. You sit there year after year, and about the biggest thing is you've got a new can of Kiwi shoe polish. And uh, everyone sits around and looks at your can of Kiwi shoe polish, and you make a big issue of opening. You, you may take 15, 20, maybe even sometimes a whole day just getting the can open. 
And then uh, looking for a rag. You can make a new can of Kiwi shoe polish last upwards of a week if you properly milk it. And so events are hard to come by in a little town like this. So the wagon would open up and everybody would cheer the wagon. Then they would cheer the fact that a guy got out and pulled the tailboard down. That was another big motion. See, they cheered that one. At that point, out would come the paid entertainer would come out. This is the show. He would come out, and uh, they used megaphones in those days. You know, they had these big megaphones. It was an early PA system, an early bullhorn. Bullhorn really is only a, a, a <laughs> transistorized megaphone is what it is. See? So he would get out and say, Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to greet the candidate for the Congress of these United States, the Honorable and Honest and Fearless Abraham Lincoln. But before we do that, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you Doc Watanabe and his famous magic singing ukulele. And out would come this guy. See, he's playing away. And uh, this this was what they came for. He'd come out. It was, the, you know, the paid entertainer, and he would play the thing. Well, the thing that made Lincoln unusual is that Lincoln would come out and himself. And he had this guy that would introduce him. The guy would introduce him and say, uh, we have now the Honorable Lincoln. And Lincoln would walk out gigantic. I mean, he's six foot six or something like that. And what a ball player he would have made. Anyway, he's six foot six inches tall. He weighed about 82 pounds in those days. He would walk out there and uh, looking very, uh, very dignified. He had a curious uh, dignity about him, even at the age of 12. He would walk out on the on the tailgate, and he would uh, take this out of his pocket, and he would wipe it off, and he would start playing. He was a fantastic Jews-Hart player. I mean, he'd have the crowd cheering and yelling. He would play turkey in the straw, you know. And they'd all start singing. Well, for about a half an hour, Abe Lincoln would entertain the crowd playing his Jews harp. There are actually written accounts of that around. And I'm not ad-libbing this or kidding you. The, the Jews harp, not an easy instrument to play, was mastered by Mr. Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln himself uh, never gave it up. Of course, the Jews harp is like any other religion. You, uh, you can always uh, try to get away from it, but you never really do. Uh, you've, you've been formed by it. And, and, and when he got into the White House, uh, he used to uh, occasionally, late at night, he would take out his Jews harp and he would play for selected friends. He would give a little Jews harp concerto. Very good Jews harp. In fact, he was good enough that in those days, uh, people would come for miles just to hear that damn Jews harp. They didn't care what he was going to say. It was his Jews harp. So Lincoln, uh, you know, has, has, uh, has more than a little going for him. And uh, to people who think of Lincoln, you know, he has this solemn look on his face, but actually he was a very funny guy and uh, had, a, had a cool, sardonic, cutting wit. And uh, we, he was, he was uh, feared by everybody who attempted to debate with him. And, uh, of course, you, you've seen pictures of him. We also had a marching band. The concert band was a different thing. The concert band was a full concert band. It had everything. You know, it had piccolos, flutes, lockenspiels. It had timpani. It had, you know, uh, a, a marching band is, is much more of a compact thing. It's a marching band. But a concert band is something else. A big 
We had piccolos. We had all kinds of... In fact, we had a great big set of, uh, of uh, chimes that we would use in the music and all that stuff. And seven basses, tremendous sousaphones back there. We had upright tubas and the whole bunch. 115 pieces. Well, we had this tremendous auditorium. And it sat uh, like uh, 3,000 kids, 2,000, something like that. It was a big school. And a stage. And every time we would have an auditorium session, one of the great things about being in the band was that the band would play for the auditorium session. You know, play when the kids come in and play when they go out. And uh, we would sit down in the pit, like a regular pit, an orchestra pit, see? And, uh, <laughs> and the great thing about this, our auditorium sessions were always in two sections. In other words, they couldn't put the whole school in, this, in the auditorium session at once. So they would put, like, the half of the school from A to through M or something like that, or from room 102 through, uh, through 209 would be in one section, and the next section would come in, like two shows. See, we'd have two of them. And we would play for both of them, and that was kind of great because you got out of school. See? <laughs> you, you know, you're down there playing for the auditorium session. Well, on this particular occasion, the day before, and we're going to have this big auditorium session. It's going to be for, for uh, Mr. Lincoln's birthday. Well, of course, they never announced early before the auditorium session what it was going to be about. But it was going to be on Lincoln's birthday. So, was, you, know, was, uh, you know, you can put two and two together, even when you're a kid. You know, in spite of the well-known and certainly efficacious uh, uh, scrambled egg theory, which many doctors are beginning to seriously believe, that we're all born with the equivalent of scrambled eggs between our ears. And gradually, as we get older, the eggs solidify, and by the 17th year, the eggs are capable of rudimentary thought. And uh, by our 20th and 21st year, it's beginning to function as a full-fledged brain. But at that time, I had nothing but these very soft scrambled eggs between the ears, you know, and so I'm, you know, take it as it comes. And <laughs> on this particular case, the day before... We're, we're in, in band rehearsal. And Mr. Dirks, our band director, hands out the sheet music of a piece of music we had never played before. At this time, we play all the same usual stuff. You know, we play, uh, you know, stuff like uh, the Double Eagle March. Uh, we would play things like, uh, well, there were a lot of great things. Like, like uh, we had about uh, seven different versions of the Overture to 1812. Uh, we played, uh, you know, that was our classical music. We played things like, uh, yeah, you know, classical. Uh, like the Blue Danube. Bands are always playing stuff like that. And he passes out this piece of sheet music. He said that we want to rehearse this because we're going to use this tomorrow. So we did. And uh, it was kind of a fun piece of music. We played it. We had a good time playing it. And uh, everybody's uh, laughing away. Every time you get a new piece of music, it's kind of an adventure, you know, you're reading through the thing. So the next day, it was 10, 15 a.m. in the morning, uh, between classes, the bell rings, and so we immediately rush down to the band room. The band is going to play for the auditorium session. We get our instruments, go down into the pit, and uh, five minutes later, Mr. Derricks gives us the downbeat, as uh, we call it in the music trade. Uh, he gives us the downbeat, and there I am. Now remember, I'm sitting in the pit. I'm wearing my sousaphone. Now, a sousaphone is the big instrument. It's the one with the big bell over your head. You know, it rests on your shoulder. The tuba is an upright instrument that does not rest on your shoulder. 
I keep berating my my listeners who keep confusing the tuba with the sousaphone. They're two different things. And uh, so I'm sitting there right in the back of the band. See, the, the, the sousaphone players played in the rear of the band, as they always do. And that would put my back right up against the stage. In fact, the, the apron of the stage, the lip of the stage, was right even with the top of my head. So I'm sitting right by the stage. Next to me is Schwartz on one side, Ernie Dunker's on the other side, two sterling bass players. And Mr. Derrick's, uh, the kids are starting to come in the auditorium. You can see the doors way at the other end opening up. The kids are coming in, you know, carrying their books, looking bored. And uh, Mr. Dirks taps on the thing. He used to go, you know, like that. Okay. And he gives us the beat, and we start. And Roger Bean Blossom, our sterling trapdoor player, picks up the beat. This is what it was. Excuse the scratch, but that's part of Americana, too. Scratchy records. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Now we're blown away there, see? This is the bass. the NC4 March, every damn auditorium session. But this was different. Uh, look at see. And, and Bean Blossom. Four score and seven years ago. He stopped. He looked out at the auditorium didn't say anything. Then he started again. Four score and seven years ago. Four score and seven years ago. And I can see now, as I'm looking straight up, that he is swaying slightly. Stovepipe hat is describing an arc across the ceiling of the stage. And he starts again. Four score and seven years ago. And the kids are starting to giggle, snicker. And then I recognize the smell. That elusive aroma. It was the same smell that I always smelled around my Uncle Carl. My drunken Uncle Carl. My drunken Abraham Lincoln is drunk. Abe Lincoln is bombed. And he kept saying that. Four score and seven years ago. Uh, uh, four score. Mr. Spawn suddenly came out on the stage. And he motioned with his right hand. Down come the curtain. So now, boys and girls, 
There has been a slight change in our program today. And uh, we will continue with our program in just a moment. Miss Fife of uh, the English Department will entertain you with her stories about her very interesting trip to Wales last year. And she did. And then we played the overture. After the- Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.